Welcome to the Accelerators Podcast. We're bringing you oncology news and views with guests from all over the field. The discussions on this show are not medical advice, and they represent our own opinions and not those of our employers. The Accelerators is part of the Photon Media family of podcasts. You can check out all of our shows at photonmedia.org. The recording is in progress. The recording is in progress. <laughs> I, um, this is Matt Breaker, co-host of the Accelerators podcast. Uh, I'm here today with Jason Becta. Do you want to? Should I go through all? I I realized the other day <laughs> I have uh, attained various titles that I, I might just selectively use. I'm going to go with I am a father to a four year old son who went to the doctor for the first time in vermont today and he ended up getting more legos my house is just mostly legos at this point and drones but sometimes i'm a doctor with the university of vermont down in rutland me and bernie hanging out and doing out of the basement and photon media and amber and irpc and cold light and yeah cold light we should talk about one time but we'll save that for the future we should, yeah, but this is going to be an informal one. I, I informal. you know, I, um, I, I listened to your your podcast on the way home from Astro, and I felt like I wanted to have you come on the show, and we could uh, talk about Astro and your podcast and the workforce. Uh, I watched the workforce um, set panel session today, uh, and I and so I had some thoughts about all of that. So I wanted to bring you on the show. I wanted to hear your reaction. Nothing is like the return from Astro that that first week uh, when when people are recovering. So I was I was mostly interested in the in the inverse of catching you in this moment because we keep we had these finite windows to get authentic reactions and not memories of reactions. Right. And yeah, I I you know haven't been on a plane in a while because. I don't do those things, but uh, yeah, so I'd like, and I think so And full disclosure is obviously that I have not seen the actual sort of presentation. I have seen the Twitter feed yes. of the, the workforce and then uh, Trug and I had talked to before. I, so I basically know his slides, but I know his slides were only a piece of it, but you know, I, I like, I like this. Uh, yeah, going I, I think if you saw the Twitter and, and the slides that were posted and then talked to, <clears throat> excuse me, talk, I have that Astro, the, the post Astro podcast voice, right? Um, That's right. I, uh, I, uh, when I talked to, uh, if you talked to him and you saw what was posted and saw the slides, I think you got probably got a good sense of it. I think that the the session felt very much uh, intentionally created to, to, to kind of give us synth- uh, kind of a synthesis or a narrative of what we know, you know, today based on all of the study and kind of people have had time to wrap their head around it. Yeah, I think that's kind of the theme of this year's Astro is yes. the synthesis of canned information with no room for thought. <laughs> it's, you could say that. You know, it's funny. The theme, the theme for me was was um, was jobs actually. Uh, cause yeah. so, so, so this Astro, um, uh, you know, you know, was the first time that I was back in San Diego, uh, since the last time that Astro was there, which was my job interview year. So it, you know, the context for me, like a lot of the memories of, of the city with Astro, um, really are around that. It, it, I really enjoyed that year. I had a great time with my co-residents, um, enjoyed the meeting. 
it was fun to interview and kind of meet and meet people. Um, but it totally had that context, like going into it. And then um, I was interviewing. So my, my practice was interviewing at this, this meeting. So that was like a kind of a, a big activity that I was doing, you know, the few days that I was there. Um, and then, you know, of course, I was very interested in hearing about the workforce study and, and hearing what the session was going to be like. Um, although I have to admit, I did not did not make it to the session. So hopefully <laughs> it sounded awesome. I watched it on demand today. Um, and, and I'm, I'm, I apologize to the session organizers because I think it was, it was likely worth attending. If, if I, I think it's so interesting. You, you have what I consider a very classic sort of experience and memories of Astro's past and present and maybe future. Whereas I, I do not. So as for as long as I've been involved with radiation oncology, I never went. So when I did my PhD in Radonc, my PI, the lab I was in, was infamously stingy. So my very first in-house poster, so my med school VCU, we had a one of those internal grad school symposium things, and my boss refused to pay for a poster printout for me. And this was like 2009, 2010. So I printed out my poster on 8 by 11 printer sheets. And it was the most embarrassed. I'm like scarred from that to this day. So obviously at that point in time, I was the only grad student who had that. Everyone else had, you know, their PI had ponied up 80 bucks to make a yeah. printer. And then of course, I was never going to go to Astro. He was never going to fund me to go to Astro when I was in the lab. So I never, and I never really pushed either. Uh, but so I never went. And then when you were, so you were in 2016 is when you were interviewing, right? Yeah, because so I graduated in no, I graduated in 2018. So it would have been 2017, like October. Um, October. Was when we were, yeah, that's when. I was a, when, oh, I was a PGY too. That's why, because I remember. So I remember this Astro because I couldn't go. Yeah. In my intern year, for obvious reasons, and then I remember that because I was a PGY two, and of course, as as is tradition, the PGY twos cover and and don't go. Um, and so I didn't get to go then. And then I ended up going to the next one and the one after that. And then COVID happened and here we are. So I actually never, as we talked about well, last year, a while ago, when you and I talked about jobs and stuff, I never did the job song and dance at Astro, much less been on the other side of it. And that's, so that's my first question to you actually is back then and today, do you count astro interviews when somebody says hey how many job oh. interviews did you have do you count that well we should so i love that question and that comment that you had by the way so this is you're you're referencing your podcast episode you just released um, the chicken little strikes back i'm so creative with i'm i do everything i do i want people to know i basically exist to make myself laugh even if no one else laughs with me but i think it's funny so i feel like a few other people will laugh because because um I wish the the session could have been titled that. I thought it was it was great. Um, that, that I love that question. Uh, yeah, so I do. I do. I guess consider I consider them like um, what do you, you know? They're like meet and greet interviews. I don't know if you. Yeah. I mean, I feel like other professionals have have interviews where they might have a Zoom one, and then the, the, like if you get invited out to to go visit, it's kind of like a second interview. Um, I, I actually did one. So that year, I did one uh interview over zoom prior to astro and then they also met me at astro and it was like a panel at astro which which i thought was intense that's not what, what we did for our practice um and then uh uh and then you know uh go out and travel was kind of like after that as well so, yeah, so I, I had like a few yeah 
interesting a panel that i would count because to me it's all it's it's a cost function so yeah it doesn't cost if you're at astro anyway and agreeing to meet up with some kid in a in a side room or you know whatever that that doesn't really cut there's not much investment there and so then it becomes well that's more nuanced than i i originally thought because again it wasn't one of my experiences because i i would have counted a panel interview at astra as real but like a one-on-one casual sort of meet and greet because the way this is kind of part of the the main conversation too is that the way this is phrased and framed to medical students and residents is very different because that your entire medical career up to that point is structured interviews so when you, yes. somebody asks you how yeah. many med school interviews did you go on there's a concrete number for all of us how many residency interviews did you go on concrete number for all of us and this is not parsed out this nuance and so i feel i know maybe it maybe it was just me i i'm guessing that i can extrapolate this this observation but that was initially my perception of when somebody says like oh i went on you know 20 job interviews it's like oh yeah. wow you know job market's banging but you what they don't tell you is 18 of those are conversations at Astro and two site interviews and, and right. parse that out. Yeah. And, and I, I would, you know, those interviews I think were, were the same, you know, we, they felt the same like vibe, I guess, as I, this year compared to when I was a resident doing it as a new grad um, where, where the goal is really just to like, see if it's a good fit, like personality wise or, um, on the other side of that is to see if the the applicant wants to, you know, ask like, you know, high level organizational type questions to see if it's a good fit for what they're looking for. That That's what I felt like we achieved in, in our interviews. And that was like the main goal. And then, you know, the, the output of the weekend, again, like at least for us, and I'm just imagining probably a lot are similar that you, you, you know, you kind of decide who you want to invest a significant time and energy into bringing them out, right? Because that, that's a that's a pretty big investment on on both parties' part. So that that's true, and I, I I think that you should have given a spoiler alert that feel those vibes is the 2026 Astro tagline. So <laughs> way to way to ruin it, Matt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so I, I, it's like so. I think to to your point in the episode, it was actually I thought it was a great question because. Um, you know, I only like I only went to two site visits. I actually wanted to ask you about this because you you had like the really bad market. That's oh, what you said. Yeah. Or that right? you had the one where you get to like tell all the kids that it was worse than their theirs was uphill and, both ways in the snow in shorts because exactly. this was the year that like pe- like basically COVID hit and people had contracts like held and crazy stuff, right? Held and pulled, yeah. Yeah. That it was terrifying, really, because you know, for me, it was the I don't want to name names for for anything for for in radiation oncology, but there was there was definitely that that some of our colleagues here, but the bigger thing was, you know, Yale had sent out a a GME wide email about uh, you know multiple specialties that had had contracts pulled and it was like something you know we had never heard of before and uh yeah, pretty nuts. yeah so that's like that's other level i guess i i sort of had like the regular difficult market that people talk about where um you know, so my, my my wife and i really wanted to stay like on the pacific northwest coast like you know either in oregon or washington and there were like no jobs or maybe one job available um, I also kind of wanted to be in academics and I think I did maybe five or like six of those meet and greet interviews, um, with a variety of places. And I walked away with like three or four that I felt like 
Uh, sorry, the other uh, like two that I felt like I, I, you know, I wouldn't pursue further and the rest I would have been happy to. And from that, I only had two on-site interviews um, and and pretty much right away after them, it was, uh, you know, it was clear to me which one to take. And so, it, you know, I think this, I personally view myself as being very like median or average in terms of that paper. Um, I think it's Moodit's paper where where they talk about that the average of 1.2 offers per per graduate is that I don't know if that's uh, if I'm I, I think so. He he's on so many from that area. So you're that's a safe guess. It's a you know, but but like I view myself as very. I feel like I had a very like average, I guess, academic job search. I, I did not apply to, to community practices really. Um, and I was, I was totally wide open geographically with a couple of small kind of exclusions that we discussed as a family. Um, and so, so it was sort of difficult in that sense. Um, and, you know, so I headed into this, like kind of thinking about how I would have felt being on the other side. And I wanted to make it, you know, try to help applicants this time. And I just was paying attention to how our interviews felt. And then when I got there, I realized, or kind of leading up maybe a week, a couple of weeks leading up, I realized kind of how, how good this market was. And so listening to your episode, I thought was uh, really fascinating for me because it was a unique take on, you know, I guess a unique narrative of what's been going on with the job market over the last 10 years. And then, and then it integrated this workforce data that was kind of presented, at least on Twitter. Um, my, my takeaway was that you had a really nice explanation for how the numbers do track in the AMA file and the number of radiation oncologists, how the exits are increasing in rate and, and decreasing and how that's linked to COVID and IMRT. I thought that was like a nice, a really nice. Yeah. it, it And that was where the, the 16% thing why why that really caught my eye because it my one of my main critiques i don't know why i say that because i feel like every everything i say is my main critique and there's like four dozen of them so it's not really so one of my main critiques was that i didn't agree with the official workforce paper supply side numbers i thought they were too low and one of the strange parts of all that was they cross-referenced zero of the already of published or publicly available numbers. And this has been talked about recently on X. I think we have to say X or like the algorithm is going to silence us. So I, I don't want to, but I, I don't want Papa Elon to, to find me. So I'm just going to say X and, and be mad about it. But so we we saw this on, on X. I think Trevor Royce had, had brought this up where it's just kind of a crazy am- amalgamation of, of, numbers that have come out we and we have no idea we're a small specialty and we have no idea how many of us there are and there's no agreement so i was very frustrated this was one of my biggest hopes from this workforce the official workforce was just how many of us are there and and how do we not know this and so the numbers they came up with were completely devoid of any corollary in real life that i had seen prior to that and the most in my opinion, most solid data out there is the AAMC data or from the AMA master file. So the that as people can imagine this, so tying into my disbelief that we don't know how many of us there are, the AMA tracks us from cradle to grave, essentially. And as you can imagine, there's a lot of checkpoints along the way where when we do all these applications, we're, we're put in a database and then they sell our data. But uh, so unless you opt out, we're kind of all in this AMA master file, which is then used by the AAMC and other sort of uh, organizations for various purposes. And it's a pretty good 
sort of number for most specialties. And the one thing I talked about in the my podcast episode was pathology did have an infamous error because I and I screwed up. I said anatomic and molecular. It's not that there. It's anatomic and something. Do you know what the two pathology things are? I do not. I do not. Should have looked this up. Um, Anatomic and something. Uh, And because of that coding uh, difference that's more unique to pathology they were really undercounting the pathologist so obviously that doesn't really apply to us or most specialties because we don't have that split like that but so you know to me for radiation oncology the ama master file is is pretty accurate and those numbers are available and, and we can cross-check that and, and so on and so forth. And they are very discordant with the workforce data. And so the workforce data, the official Astro workforce study has this linear sort of increase of about, you know, 50 to hundred per year, starting to, from back in 2014, 2015. And when I saw the arrow data from this year on the graduating resident survey and job satisfaction, you see, you know, my year was obviously the most tremendously bad. And then there was only 16% of people were dissatisfied with a job search this, this year. And that tracks with my experience and your experience. I know where this is one of the best job markets, if not the best job market uh, in the last 20 years and has been for at least a year or two, and will probably continue on for a little bit. And it lines up pretty perfectly with the double AMC data and not the Astro data. Yeah. And I think, so just to like, I, part of why I wanted to make this episode is because I think we're, you know, there, you can kind of talk about this as a, you know, Jason and Chirag, like kind of workforce data nerd level. Exactly. Right. And then the real question that people really want to know though, is like, how do you apply this? If you are a medical student choosing whether or not to go in the field, or if you're a resident kind of heading towards the job market. And I, I want to say a few things about that based on my experience in a little bit. But but what I thought was really interesting is like, we all agree it's a small field. There are confidence intervals of how many they started with in the workforce analysis. And, and we can talk about that. Um, and there's like, you know, there's sensitivity to that. And they did point out in the um, session that it does the way they made the assumption does bias the results toward predicting neutrality and not oversupply. So they did point that out very clearly. Oh, wow. That's Um, good for them. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, I mean, it was exact. It was, you know, I think that it was designed in an intentional way. Um, And, and, but what was interesting is that your, your discussion was really the first time that I was thinking about the rate of change and how these excess or, um, um, you know, or a, or a, um, whatever the opposite of an excess is, what would that be? De- de- deficit? <laughs> a deficit. The excess or deficit of radiation oncologists each year, um, really is dependent on the rate of, of rise or fall, right? And, and based on the prior year, that's it, an obvious statement, but we never haven't been talking about it like that. And so I think what I took away from your discussion was that, you know, things were heading towards being really rough in the year that I'm talking about. And they sort of peaked, um, you know, in the year that you're talking about. And then you layer on this, the COVID effects, which certainly had an impact on your year in terms of contracts and issues and things like that. But what it also did is it caused more exits or more change to partial work. Do I have that right from what you said? Yeah. And and it was very interesting because it's really hard. I, we've all got a lot of anecdotes and, you know, the plural of it, anecdote is not data. So, right. but, and that's where I was happy to find when I was studying for that or preparing for that episode and, and reading the uh, MGMA white papers, which is the one of the main benchmarking sort of organizations that many of our employers use. 
that they kind of did quantify this through various methods of that there is a huge and this is i'm now talking about just medicine in general not just radiation oncology that there is a giant jump in exits across medicine and we see this we all feel it i i, I mean if you don't feel that in your system whoever is listening I, i'm jealous of you because the shortages is just nuts and um we all see it and feel it but to have numbers so i think i'd have to off the top of my head the normal exit of physicians across specialties is like six or seven percent per year and uh they had aggregated two years and it was up to like it was a total of 40 percent or like basically 20 percent per year you know so at least three times as much if not more exits and that's really contributing to the job market that we have down and certainly that survey and everything just kind of lines up perfectly so it which is uh in against the workforce study so the official workforce study does not really reflect this but the uh, aero survey your and my and our friends and colleagues anecdotal experiences and the double amc ama master file data all sort of correlates the one thing that stands alone that you know the cheese stands alone is the astro workforce data and so but your your interpretation is correct that we had covid COVID was, I know there were black swan events were brought up. I would consider weirdly COVID a white swan event. And I think one of our friends had said that COVID was bad in everything, everything that was good, COVID touched turned bad and everything that was bad turned good, beating that the oversupply direction, APM, all those things, COVID, COVID kicked us in a good direction, meaning APM is gone, you know, despite Astro trying to play uh, their own game, but, and then our job market really cleared up and my my concern is that people and you see this somewhat people are going to take the wording and spin of the workforce and the fact that even people like me are saying the job market right now is good and and run with it and we saw how crazy it was run with back 20 years ago and yeah. weather and climate you know are, are different and that uh, matt mcfarland ex posted yeah posted zeded out today about zeded and so that my main concern is people are just not thinking about rate as you're saying rate of exits rate of entry and that yeah. the doubling of the work for of the residents did not happen overnight and really we are just coming into the start of this expanded workforce and covid bought us years of of buffer okay, and, the cans. Yeah, it's a kick right. of the can. And that's so now my concern is and based on the behavior of, of people in the past is that this is going to be spun as everything is fine. And then, you know, the, especially I can't if if people track out the math on like an M3, a current third year medical student thinking about their career, they would not be done in entering as an attending physician till close to the end of the decade. Right. And uh, that makes me real, real nervous about trying to sell you know, baubles and trinkets to a current third year medical student. Well, and I think into your point, two two quick things. So one is, is that your points, number one, about, about the fact that you have to look at the rate of rise and fall over time and that um, you, you kind of made this more explicitly in your podcast that it, it lags quite a bit, you know, because of the length of training and things like that. And as you just mentioned, um, the, the data that we're talking about really ends 
um, at the time that a current third year medical student would graduate from residency in radiation oncology. So, so, it, and they were very clear about that in the session. This is another reason why I think you'll love it. Um, because it, again, like the, you know, a lot of the session was spent talking about the wide confidence intervals in the model, and then the difficulty of using that model to predict the future for somebody that's actively making a decision to go into the field or not. One other thing that came up that I thought was really interesting is that they talked about RVU elasticity, which I'm sure you know all about that. Um, but for people that don't, um, and you know, I'm not like an economist, but but the idea is that um, you know, COVID um, created more jobs in a lot of ways, not through exits, but also through restructuring. Um, the other thing is that sometimes people reevaluate, you know, their life choices. And when I'm saying people like me, I moved from a very busy job to not as busy job. And if a practice decides to do that, then you just add more doctors, right? So that creates a job if you decide to go to a less busy model. Um, and, and I wanted to point out this tweet, this Zeet, <laughs> uh, Susanna Ellsworth, uh, radiation oncologist was commentating on this yesterday. I thought she had some great points. Um, she said an interesting corollary came up during discussion, which is worse undersupply or oversupply clear consensus in the room is that existing systems can handle undersupply and that oversupply is not an answer to physician maldistribution. And so I wanted to bring that up because you mentioned uh, uh, chairs with hair of a certain color at the end of your podcast. There was a comment in the session that said exactly that, that if we are pushing too hard, you know, selfishly trying to constrain over constrain supply to rise salaries, um, you know, this is going to cause disparities and harm rural centers. There actually was a lot of talk, and and I would like to uh, praise Chelsea Pinnex for shutting that down because uh, pretty definitively they kind of multiple people said that that does not fix the rural distribution problem that's been shown at this point. Um, and and you know, I think that we you need to look at the outcomes of this of this whole system, which to me is kind of like a giant black black swan event because it's so small. Um, it, we can fix an undersupply quickly by just working a little harder. You you can't, but I could probably. Um, but an oversupply, like I don't know how we're going to fix unemployed doctors that can only do one thing. Um, and, and so I strongly agree with uh, Dr. Ellsworth's tweet. Zeet well, on that one. Zeet, yeah. and that's, so that is probably what I am most frustrated and alarmed about is that hearing the conversation, hearing what you're telling me now and hearing what the presentation was like, again, I wasn't there, but hearing feedback from it, knowing the people who were there, knowing the whole long story. I think I, I probably know the most of, of how the workforce study came to be, except for the people who are actually authors on it. And obviously a lot of that I've shared because it's all through private conversations, but it's all incredibly reasonable and nuanced. And, and I, I can't, it's hard for me to disagree with anything that that has been said in those settings. You turn around and you look at like the, the astrogram and what was put out this summer about it's the spin of, of balance. None of this nuance exists. And I'm really worried that you have a bunch of, and this might be the theme for radiation oncology is you have a bunch of brilliant people who are thinking about things correctly. And, but the, the people at the wheels of power are, are doing what they want to do anyway, which is how you and I, I think come to be in, in these sort of podcast social media thing is just as one way one avenue to circumvent and, and create sort of a parallel power structure but 
that that I think is the the thing that we all need to be the most on alert about is that you know people are saying the right things and people that you know but are the actions matching up with the words of the smart people in the expensive conference in California that happened for three days versus the thing that's on an ASCO uh, press release? You know that that's that's the disconnect that has me alarmed. Yeah, yeah, and I and I actually posed the question today on on Twitter on Z on, on Z. Right on, on X. X. It's on X. We Z on X. That's right. <laughs> I zeded the question on X. You zeded um, all I, over X. Yeah, and and I sort of asked, um, you know, like kind of about the way forward here, um, because my my question is like, you know, we have, in my opinion, the people that that were at this session talking, and I, I'm not part of this the conference. I don't know how it was designed, um, but my sense is that this session was crafted to send a very specific message. Um, and, and so it's out there now. And, and some of the slides were very provocative. I shared today about the, they shared some soap data, which is, which is, you know, enraging in my opinion. Um, it's crazy. And, and I guess my, my, my question is, is like, where, where do we go from here? Because at the end of the day, like soaps and, and our, our positions, which are like, you know, dedicated radiation oncology positions that people start in the second year, those were actually up this year. Uh, compared to last, um, you know, the numbers are all about the same every year. It's not that many spots that are changing year to year. But, the, you know, the question is, what do you do? Because it's not the, you know, one of the people that was on the panel has voluntarily contracted a spot because, you know, the, um, this is this is Chelsea Penix with MD Anderson. And so, you know, it was floated. The idea was like, does everyone shrink a spot? Do we close certain programs that are consistently not filling? I asked the question like, does the board close their close their programs? Because I think what's very clear at this point is that we're not going to have um, any kind of. Uh, this is the strongest we're going to get out of Astro, is what I was trying to say. And it was a nice effort, but I don't think that there's going to be anyone forcing any programs to close like ever. And so, what's the way forward? I mean, do you have a a sense or an idea? Yeah. So, I mean, for for me, I think we just have to out and out acknowledge that zero spots are going to be cut. Like this is as small as it's ever going to be. Period. I have zero hope in that uh, ever. And the reason being, one, a couple of things. What what you what you just said would actually be antitrust. So, Astro clearly has no idea what antitrust is. Period. They haven't for the past decade or two. They invoke it as a boogeyman that they don't understand. And that, you know, because technically what Astro is doing now, like when when Eichler put out his blog post in 2021 or whatnot, talking about concerns about the workforce, Astro five years ago said that it was antitrust. And so if... Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, to be be really clear... Well, just to add really quick, really, I did have a conversation with somebody and I'll, I'll, you know, kind of keep who it was anonymous just because... It was a private conversation, but um, it, this has been discussed, is my understanding, um, it, it, at the level of the board. And I think that there was even an investigation about whether, like, they consulted outside. Um, I, I guess if people don't know that Astro does employ a lawyer that probably drives some of this, and um, but they did consult outside lawyers. Uh, and that was the kind of the overall sentiment was just that it, you're you're right. I mean, every law is gray, right? I mean, it's kind of just depends how the judge decides or how, you know, whoever decides in the given the context of the case. But I think that the stakes are so high that 
that's the policy that's or the interpretation of the law that's been adopted. And so it, we can, you, you were to clarify, you, you were told that asked or consented outside lawyers about commenting on the workforce and antitrust currently or in the past, like at some point in the past. And that that's the entirety of the conversation. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know anything else about it, but at the end of the day, I think it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. I mean, I personally, I, you know, this part of this, uh, refusing to have an open conversation about this is like one of the reasons that I'm not a member and like won't join at the moment. Um, it's just, you know, it's a, you know, it's another example of lack of transparency, but at the end of the day, like we're not, I think what we saw at this session, in my opinion, is probably the strongest message we will ever get out of Astro. And it was strong. I, I totally yeah. agree. And that's, I, I, so you, I am incredibly skeptical about whoever told you that. I think whoever told you that was telling you the truth and we're not playing coy here. I, I literally don't know what Matt's talking about for, for the listeners, but, uh, they must've been a private attorney because I did a freedom of information act request to the department of justice for specifically this question asking if in the, since 20, whenever the first time that showed up 2014, uh, I asked for any records of communications with the American society for therapeutic radiology or radiation oncology and the DOG, at least, you know, that FOIA request said they had no records. So if Astro talked to anyone about the yeah. antitrust issue, it was not the DOJ. Or it was like on the phone or something. <laughs> but yeah. Or, yeah. yeah, or I mean, it's on the, the phone, the, the most official way. Right. Well, at the end of the day, I mean, I think that that's the that's the take home. And it's not even really, in my opinion, it's not really even worth discussing that aspect. No, because no. That's, I, that's I think it's I, I do think it's a valid criticism, but it, you probably agree that like all laws, it's just sort of like the way you interpret it is how is you know is like your risk tolerance affects the way you interpret it is what i'm trying to say oh yeah it's not probably a thousand percent agree right. it's uh, laws laws only apply to who you know and how much money you have and the but so so to to that and the 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 reason we went down this rabbit hole is that I don't think the board ca- is going to get together and say you got to contract because that right. one right. it's not in their interest and two that that would be antitrust but three as I brought up in in my chicken little podcast there that the there's there's the third economy there's the invisible economy of residents and that we are talking about this like rational human beings of supply and demand having you know two two groups but there is the math of the the residents and they are a huge economic lift to hospitals there if they weren't that way then you wouldn't see a huge proliferation of spots despite the government cutting off funding back in the late 90s and i pose this it's funny because i know today on uh, x they had that moffat interview um about the stat news article and uh, several years ago the prior chair of moffitt was uh, doing a visiting professor at yale and i asked him specifically that question at that time of what are your thoughts about moffitt expanding residency in light of all these concerns and so on and so forth and his answer was a very clear you know moffitt as a singular place had increased uh, its volumes and then the, the standard of, of excellent training and so on and so forth which all chairs say but that it was very his his answer was very clearly in our environment in our microcosm it was warranted due to volume and then we just are back into tragedy of the commons where if each individual department is doing that and because again i as i say repeatedly i don't i don't think there's some secret hidden nefarious plot anywhere i think people are just doing what people always do which is interest acting in the interests of their themselves or in their departments and then we just get into tragedy of the commons so i think that the hidden economy of of residents is 
a big, big, big reason why we won't see any contraction. Now, I could be wrong. I would it's love the to be reason. wrong. It's the only re- <laughs> the reason. Yeah, essentially, it's the reason. I, I swear this is unplanned for the listeners, but this is, I'm so happy you brought that up because this is exactly where I was headed was, you know, it's people are starting to, I guess, zeet about this as if they are dumbfounded that we could let this happen and let it keep happening. Um, but it, it's exactly what it is. There's a massive conflict of interest here, and that's why people are, are doing it. That's why we will continue to have soaping and all these things that are going on. Um, you know, my question was was you know how do we actually move forward from here? Um, I, I don't expect you to answer it. It's oh, it's I, I have an answer for you. Yeah, oh, oh, go ahead. There you go. What would you well, do? So yeah. So so these are all things that you and I have talked about, kind of in our in our bigger sort of ideas. So one is that we need to well so in the supply and demand in this math supply and demand so supply is fixed assuming we can't touch that we then have to look at demand or something along the actual scales themselves and so on the demand side on the on the plus side out of our control is the aging of the the population in general so we are going to be in a period where we'll have the oldest uh, number of americans ever and it's going to be increasing. Now, this is where I differ a little bit with some of other folks who have thought about this, where I I had previously thought that we were going to, after kind of a peak in maybe the 2030s, it was going to fall down. I've read a lot of the census projections and other things, and I think that is assuming people are going to die off at a certain rate, just to be really blunt about all this. And the projections I've seen is I, I don't think that's going to happen. So I think for at least until 2040, that we're going to have more, I think the number I saw once was either 80 or 90 million, Amer- like a huge number of of elderly people who are going to have diseases of the elderly, like cancer that will need our treatment. So that's a fixed sort of variable that is on the favorable, as weird as it is to say with old people getting sick, you know, in the empire of medicine, that's a, that's a good variable. So, so one that's, and we've seen that now. So I've seen that internally in Vermont. So Vermont is a great sort of state as a microcosm or as a, a model system for the rest of the country. And because it's like a, a very small closed loop and you can get a lot of data. So I know we've seen about a 20% increase before from immediately before COVID to now. And I've gotten projections from other things. And, and so basically between now and 2027, it should be another at least 11% increase in the incidence of radiotherapy eligible cancers. So even though, yes, we're better about screening and yes, we're better about preventing and yes, we're better about treating, it's just a raw numbers game at that point. So that is a, a benefit on the demand side. And so really that comes down to what what can we actionably do? And there are two things. One, you know, what you and I are involved in with the so we have the the nonprofit of, of Cold Light, which is about advocacy, which one day I'll actually get my act together and kind of talk about this. But we have to do a better job of advocacy. We have to do a better job of stopping getting steamrolled by everyone and if you go back and i'm working on other episodes about this if you look at how we got here of it was basically a singular sort of sustainable growth rate the sgr paper in the new england journal of medicine in 2012 and radonc had a 300 percent or 400 percent or whatever yeah it was 300 percent uh over uh budgets of their projected sort of um you know rate by sgr but that's just the percentage of what radonc was projected to do and what it actually did. It's not absolute numbers. So then if you flip that around and Astor's really uh, happy to parade around the key true to slide deck about how much money 
top three oncology drugs cost versus all of Radonc, and it's not even close. So yes, it was a 300% increase, but in actual dollar amount, it was it was not even in the top 10 in terms of, of what that cost was. And that should have been the talking point. That should have been the, the rallying cry. It was not, you know, in that era, we were all about the urologists and self-referrals and all this stuff. And if anyone had had a real lobbyist or a real PR, you know, manager campaign, it, it, uh, maybe, you know, that ship would have sailed. Maybe we were always destined to be down this. There's other forces at play, but advocacy, advocacy, advocacy of we need to just talk about the insanely yeah. valuable modality of radiotherapy. It's not even close. But so one would be advocacy and two would be expanding indications or not even that adopting existing uh, indications, which is my favorite thing of benign radiotherapy. Because magically, what people don't realize, if you go into the workforce and read the actual sort of report, the modeling from HMA, a lot of those projections are based on a mysterious new indication that are going to give us an average of 20 RVUs. So this kind of, even though it was biased towards balance, the bias still had magical things in it. However, if you go and look at low-dose radiotherapy for osteoarthritis, billing complex isodose, which is 2D, doing six fractions total, uh, w what do you get? An average of about you know 20 WRVUs. And so you we can achieve those modeled things uh, with adoption of benign indications. And while arthritis is my personal favorite thing, there's obviously a quadrillion other things that are falling on this, but it's getting over America's radiophobia of, you know, we've been just doomed. America has had a very interesting sort of relationship with uh, the, the atom and atomic power. And that, that uh, this goes, loops right back into advocacy of helping people not be scared of radiation, which is, you know, a tall order and, and a problem. But those are the, the actual things that we can all do, whether or not you jump, you know, on board with cold light and all these other things just on an individual level is just not beating ourselves into the ground. And then I guess third thing along with, with their 2.5 would be doing more stuff, meaning do radio farm. You can be, people think that you are only allowed to do what you were taught in residency. So there is actually no reason why we couldn't give chemotherapy right now. Now I'm not advocating for that in isolation, but there's no laws against it. A medical license is not like a driver's license and your specialty board certificate is not like the speed limit. You know, if if you as a radiation oncologist prescribes Zolota, you are not going 95 miles an hour in a school zone. It is, it's not like that. You can do that. And so expanding the, getting out of the box, expanding what you think is possible uh, which we are just so bad at, just like atrociously bad at. Those are the those are the only things that I can see that are within our power to try to turn the Titanic. And it's going to take twenty years, but you know we're not going to be able to contract, and we're not going to be able to, you know, uh, reverse the hypofrac ship. So we have to look at other things, which is just appropriate utilization, stopping the cuts and hemorrhaging from that, and exploring benign indications. Just my soapbox on that one. Didn't see that one coming, did you, Matt? <laughs> you know, I, I I saw some of them because they're actually that's kind of what people say, right? I I, I actually worry though um, because I do I do think that uh, expanding indications is good. Um, and, and, you know, arthritis, uh, benign stuff, 
and radio pharmaceuticals is like the easy way to do that because it falls in the box of like what's there already. Like you can do osteoarthritis. Like I, you know, I actually thought it was funny. You said that what you were trained in residency, like you're allowed to do other things. There's definitely a bias. Like there's a little activation energy to like get over that hump because I think, I think that does happen. You get instilled with, with dogma. But like, it was easy for me to start an osteoarthritis practice, right? Because like, there's papers I can point to. There's, you know, we made podcasts that help kind of define how you do it. Um, There, you know, there's codes that are easy to understand. So it took like a couple of conversations and emails and we were like up and running. But like giving Zalota, I think is, you know, like you said, there's whatever um, your hospital, if you're employed, allows you to do, like you can do or whatever privileges you have, you can do. But you could always get more. Right. But you can imagine like it's easier to walk in and say, I want a radiated knee than to say, I want to start giving chemo. <laughs> I think that's uh, to me, that's it's just, you know, like because someone's going to raise an eyebrow. It's something they have not heard a radiation oncologist say. Um, well, well, maybe. And so so that's the interesting point is that I think that's kind of a story we tell ourselves to a degree. So within our own hyper echo chambers because the problem with us is how small we are we're all shuttled through the bottleneck of the same residency institutions and that's kind of the dogma and so but if you look at what other doctors do they they don't have the same level of there's, there's a much more cowboy sort of ethos in most specialties that we don't have and so I question the eyebrow raising concern. Certainly, it absolutely will happen depending. And if, if you're at a place like Wash U or Yale, like you're much more uh, structured. But the I, I think I, I, I'm not sure it's as big of a barrier as we imagine it to be. But I fully recognize that my personality is is not your standard right, doctor, right. let alone radiation oncologist. So just well, but, but it's mostly think outside the box is, is really my take home. And here's the other thing is that, you know, when you talk about advocacy, I think like people to think about political advocacy where you go and, you know, try to get a payment model passed or whatever, you you know, you, you think of advocacy that maybe is like physician or patient facing, just helping the the brand of the field, I guess is a, is a good way to put it kind of gross way, but, but a way to put it, uh, you know, improving people's comfort with radiation and understanding the value there. I think that's important as well. But, you know, one one of my huge takeaways from from Astro this year was that I, I'd like to see more advocacy in um, genuinely paying it forward. Do, do you see what I did there? That was <laughs> that was pretty good. I can feel your vibes, Matt. Paying it forward to the next generation of radiation oncologists, because there were kind of two things. Um, one is, is uh, we interviewed some new grads and so few of them know what they want. It's like, I just feel like you're, if you're at Astro in October of your PGY five year and um, it, at least some of the applicants like can't answer the question, like, where do you envision yourself in three years or what kind of, what kind of practice would you like? Um, and having people struggle to answer that, that I feel like the system is, is failing them. I mean, it, the residency is, is, is professional training, but it should include like professional job placement in my opinion. I mean, what's the point of training people if you can't, if you can't put them in a job. And so I think radiation oncology, we all, I mean, God, I recorded an episode with a medical student about how much I love the field because of how flexible it can be. And I saw that on some of the job panels at the Aero Day, like it was all about different ways that if people have carved great careers for themselves, doing all, all doing different things. Um, and, and then you like get to the point where you're ready to pick the thing and like, nobody knows what's out there. 
And it, I didn't know either. It took me a few years to kind of get to know that. Um, I don't know how you felt about that, like heading. I mean, you you probably thoroughly researched it and like wrote a book on it before you went on your interview. Well, no, I mean, that's that's the thing is that's where Out of the Basin came from. And that I try. So to be clear, I, yes, absolutely tried, but there is nothing. And that is a failure of the system because of the echo chamber, right? Where if we go and look how many right now in this moment, how many of the teaching faculty at academic institutions that are training residents are are having they're working at the same place they did their residency a very high number so it's a it's not even it goes back to nothing nefarious it just is what it is is that i you can people might get mad about this but you can't take job advice from an attending physician who has been in the same role or the same hospital for 20 years and they did their residency at that hospital. Their only that role, right? Their only not, job. No, their only job. They don't know anything right. beyond their limited world. And so that is what we're having right now. And unfortunately, that's kind of been the system we've had for a while. And so you know, the reason people can't answer your question of where do you see yourself in three years is they genuinely don't know even how to answer that. And that information isn't even available, which is again, where out of the basement came from in the first place and how, you know, you and I have these conversations is that there's people don't have easy access to us, uh, people like us, even though we're the bulk of what makes up radiation oncologists in this country. And, and that is a, a system-wide issue, a system-wide failure. And I think that things like this, and, and this, to me, this is advocacy, advocacy and in, in brand building, which, you know, again, has, you said you about, but that is a thing where it's about kind of changing how uh, we are perceived and we meaning the royal, we meaning the specialty. And it's just, that's, that's what this is really all about. And that's where we can really make a, a lot of, of difference. And the, yeah, I, I just, I think that's kind of, hopefully I, I always do these things thinking I'm talking to myself five years in the past because of that, because there was no information. And I think we can just do a, a lot better, but I think it's going to take a, a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the, the, that's, that's totally right. And I think the other way that I'd like to see more advocacy kind of out of the top or most senior leaders of our field societies, practice groups of all kinds is, is just creating a better, job or or being more intentional to create a better career of radiation oncology than we may have with some of the pressures that are being kind of put on it. Um, it's like, you, you know, we see, we see other fields that have had, you know, things happen to them, like uh, radiology and emergency medicine are good examples with the whole private equity and, and kind of outside funding type thing. Um, anesthesia with, with kind of mid-levels, there's been kind of, you know, publicized sort of trend changes in different fields that have negatively impacted the quality of, of jobs for physicians in those fields. And sometimes people talk about them like they, they're just like forces of nature that you have no impact on. Um, I met multiple one to five year out, you know, new grad or relatively new grad radiation oncologists that were being treated, in my opinion, pretty crap, pretty crappy, like by, by their job, um, either lots of like huge caseload where they were carrying a huge caseload and then other people in the practice are on vacation all the time, big pay disparity, um, unclear, you know, terms to partnership, th those kinds of things. And, and they're looking to leave or change jobs. And we, we actually saw some, some zeets uh, through Astro where people kind of imply that there's a pretty high rate of job change. Um, and so, 
it's like when we're talking about these things like rocker in the workforce and you know people in passing just talk about how the average number of RVUs per doctor is going to go way up um you know again we don't know exactly what it is but it's probably somewhere in the 8 to 9000 uh range now and all the models are showing it in the 11 to 12000 range um and no one's really talking about that despite the fact that we have like the you know wellness quote trademark you know thing happening that seems a little uh, uh in name only for me well it's provider wellness too not even <laughs> is provider wellness we'll save that one for next year that'll be a future one and that's well and that was why i i I loved and hated your poll because uh today about what does twelve thousand wrvus mean to you because it's such a broad topic like i feel overwhelmed trying to think about what it's going to take to advocate uh to to kind of really educate people about what that is and that's kind of why i talk about my my jobs in particular where you know i've i've live these things where i know what 12,000 wrvus can feel like in different settings and it the, i've never seen this talked about that's the thing so most of the time people barely barely know what our views are and of those that do we talk about them and think about them like they are a standardized thing that can be quickly and easily communicated and it's just how humans are wired but yeah. you know it, when i say you know i average 1600 rvus a month uh and you when i somebody else the, how people perceive what that means is going to be very different based on their own individual experiences especially if they're a 20-year faculty associate professor at the same place they did the residency institution yeah. you know it, it means very different things and so i i don't think almost no one is having an informed conversation about this and that's what terrifies me you know it's what was so heartbreaking (laughs) i was at the uh i was at the accelerators party which we have to talk about in a second and oh uh, yes and and i'm like talking to one of these unhappy people that's you know because i I like to make connections and i you know I, i tried to make a connection for this person but they said they were like, oh, I'm so busy. You know, it's I'm, I'm frustrated because I thought it was going to be easier and, you know, it's not getting any easier. And 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 I feel like I'm not paid enough for how busy I am. They said they were carrying like 30 patients or something. And I go, yeah. how many RVUs a month do you do? And they said, I don't know. And I was yeah. just like, oh, my God. Like it, yeah, it, it, that, 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 that is everything I am thinking about. It's that particular because how many times has that interaction been repeated uh over the years probably i don't even want to think about it i'm not even i'm now gonna i'm gonna manually shut my brain down from going down that rabbit hole but that is and that's kind of when we did the rad formation episode last week and talking with shauna and and all that is i love how they interact with us when when you know and and this this episode is not sponsored by rad formation although it should be i know you're listening and the you know they they are genuinely great to interact with and it's so the way they they talk to us and kind of it's almost like light up like i don't want to because it's there's still a rep thing it's hard to sort of explain but it's very clear that they are used to doctors having no idea about what even the most basic things of of the business of all this is and it just depresses the heck out of me yeah well that and so i guess to like wrap the point it's sort of like you know i think there that we could all work together to to have a big impact on number one um you know just educating everyone so that 
the practices that are out there abusing people. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to be careful with my terms, but I mean, that's the reality here for some of these situations uh, that we make it a lot less likely that someone's going to get trapped in something like that. Um, and then, and then also just advocating as we all grow in the field and take leadership roles, just advocating for each other to create a better field. And there's going to be challenges for sure, but you know, it's like, it is a business. And so you can make decisions about the finances and the way that you structure things. And I, I don't think it always has to be structured, uh, you know, the ways that sometimes they are in some practices now. So I, I I'd like to see kind of more of that. Um, speaking of red formation, I wanted to tell you, <laughs> there where's was my hat, weird... Matt, where's my hat? You, it, it's coming. It's coming. Okay. okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> you were, um, you, you had like some mythology forming around you at Astro. They, it, the people at red formation are not convinced you're a real person. Mo- most people <laughs> aren't. I, I wish I could say this is the first time in my life. This conversation has happened, but I'm, I'm not surprised. It, it it was a fantastic conference. You you came up. You'll you'll see if when you watch the workforce session, you'll you'll see um, you were referenced a couple of times there. You've done great work giving data for that. Um, and then of course the company is now all curious about you after your webinar and then the podcast episode. And um, and yeah, I often know, wonder. It's it's funny. So on on my end, because this is yeah. for for anyone who doesn't know me in real life, I am like this. Like everything, this is just this is it. This is I. I am I've... always the real me. And trying to explain this to my my like people in real life. So like talking to my nurse when she'll walk in and I'm doing something like yelling about rocker on the internet and and she genuinely wants to know about things and I have to back up and be like, well, so I do this, this like podcast thing and I do this. It's, it's, it's hard to explain it. It's just so weird to run through this in real life, but yeah, no, this is, um, this is. So what's funny is there's more to this story. So, so I, so that sort of like planted the seed there. They kind of were making jokes. We, um, I think, you know, that we, you know, we stayed in the house with, with Todd, uh, his, his girlfriend, uh, Kendra, who, you know, or have met or talked to maybe, but never met in person. Is that, uh, I fact, she, yeah, like not one-on-one at, at length, but, uh, yeah, the never met her in person. Correct. So, so when I brought this up, she, she actually agreed that <laughs> you may not be real. And then later I went back to talk to the rad formation people and, and, you know, I found myself trying to argue and I actually could not convince them. And I didn't well, have- <laughs> uh, we might be living in a simulation, man. Like that, that's, right. all, that's all I'm saying. So for the accelerators party, you, um, it sounds like you guys had, had quite a, quite a good time. It sounded very uplifting and actually it sounds why I'm optimistic because I heard from you, I heard from like Nat and, and Trog and stuff. The main theme I heard as someone who didn't go to, to this year's Astro is that, and as dark as, as Radonk has become in places, you guys all kind of universally sound so happy and satisfied and optimistic about the people that are, are in the field. And so like the, it sounds like the party or your guys's events went really well. Yeah, events went really well. That you know, the ad stuff sounded like it went really well um, from their perspective. People liked the episode that we did, um, and you know, we got really good feedback. It, I, you know, I'm guessing that maybe someone out there is unhappy with with me or the accelerators based on how things are sometimes on X or whatever. But I, you know, I think. Well, well that, let me let me just I'll interject with you. Can be the yeah. Swedish Georgia peach, but some people just fucking hate peaches. But continue. <laughs> 
<laughs> right, exactly. No, it's a good point. But I but the but I do think overall that it's really appreciated by a wide range of people. Um, and I think what's funny is you know everyone. You know, I've kind of talked about this a lot, kind of I guess on the podcast and off as well, just about how people make how you know people make change and take they there's different routes to kind of doing that. Um, but it does seem like everyone does feel like they're having an impact and, and continuing to kind of engage and and stuff like that. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I do think if I was a medical student, I would be very thoughtful about all this commentary and this data about the workforce because it is their future and the time periods we're talking about are, are pretty uncertain. Um, but I think we've, you know, at least Accelerators has given some good information recently through podcasts. And there's been some good posts and things like that that help. Um, and then otherwise, it's it's like, who you know, I, I said that I was leaving. I feeling lucky to be a rat because I have a great job. I'm in a really good situation with with good leadership that, you know, sees our value. And um, I feel lucky that the podcast has been well received. And it's it's hard to be, you know, it's, it's like you can kind of craft it to be uh, if you focus on on, you know, the things that are going really well. Uh, and I think it ends up feeling really good. And, and my sense is that's kind of what most people are doing there. You got to come next year. Yeah, I, I uh, it's in D.C., right? Is that where it's at? It's in D.C. I was saying maybe I would shave a day off. I mean, I'll just I'll be honest and say I didn't really like go to the conference much. But um, I think that it's, you know, it's become such a, a citywide event with industry. And there's, you know, there's parallel conferences that run. Do you, do you, you know, like therapists and stuff go to ASRT? You, you must be. Aware. Yeah. Yeah. So it's I, parallel, I personally uh, want to go to the ESRO one, but that's because I'm weird. <laughs> you know, at Acro, they have it like in the same conference. So you can actually like, go to those events and things. Oh, wow. But, you mean you mean we don't have elitist silos? Weird. <laughs> so we so, um, you, you know, I think that it's become a pretty big event. We'll obviously keep going. I think the uh, Photon Media stuff was well appreciated and we'll we'll kind of do more of that. Well, up. no, and I, I think the main point, and I don't know if I've ever said this kind of in, in an open sort of setting, is that I know, uh, you know, some of, of our antics uh, it can sometimes be received, or at least I perceive, usually you take more heat than I do, but perceived negatively and, and being seen as, as sort of attacks or as being just kind of negative and you know I, I the the way i engage in the things i engage about and what i do is mostly i'm trying to craft people who will be able to argue with me and prove me wrong because at the end of the day i hate echo chamber i basically only hang out with people who will uh, make fun of me or tell me i'm an idiot because uh, if you don't do that then that's the surest way to just kind of get high on your own supply and that hopefully with with all of these things i'm i want people to think about what we're saying in even if it takes anger to to sort of get them there and you know, maybe down the road, if I've pissed someone off enough, they will actually go and study what I'm talking about and then come back and say, well, no, back to you're wrong about X, Y, and Z. And I will say, huh, I didn't consider that. Because in the in the moment when I am the only one talking about rocker, that isn't one of like four people in Astro, that terrifies me. Like there is, there is nothing out there and, and that I, that should not be the case. And, and so it's not even possible to have an informed debate about something like rocker because no one even knows what it is. And yeah. and that's kind of the main mission for, for me. So when people kind of get uh, annoyed or upset with, with some of the things we're doing, it's basically trying to get us all in the same playing field so we can all kind of be making these choices together. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and, and, and it's like, 
I, you know, I agree with all of that. And then I think that j- along the same lines, like there's anyone that's trying the route of kind of going into the society and trying to kind of rise up in it and change it from the inside. Like you're seeing those people at Astro as well. And, the, you know, like I think the workforce to me was, was an inspiring session. Yeah, the data is incredibly frustrating. The lack of organized response or awareness of it is is sort of uh, frustrating. But the fact that we can see a session like that put together by that group uh, with a very, you know, like the me- the message was not subtle. <laughs> so, well, so I people think need I, to really realize Dr. Shaw is is you know not to not to be a hyperbolic here but is is a borderline hero and this is yep. his tenure like he bookended 10 if you if if people forget and part of this why i do the podcast and things is so we have an oral history like recorded so people don't forget these things 2013 was has the pendulum swung too far was the bloodbath in the red journal and he he he, he was the first to really question this you know the yeah. workforce stuff and he paid for it dearly and now to see 10 years later what he's doing with the workforce and in the presentation he gave the the med students not just med students everyone but med students in particular that that he he did a lot and he yeah. deserves a lot of credit and i wish that you know 2023 um radon could jump in a time machine and just go back and and buy him a beer in 2013 and but i i agree like yeah you know, and this is kind of this is what i tell patients you know our jobs our day jobs can be kind of you know, emotionally taxing and uh is you have as i'm sure as well we we have to kind of talk a lot of people through their own death and and to me when i think about these things the question is is i believe in the infinite game right where there's no scoreboard there's no clock we're just here and that the we just have to be doing better today than we did yesterday it, it, as long as there's a movement in the positive direction sometimes it's all we can hope for that's the best we can do and I think people, it's easy to get depressed and bleak about where things are, not just in Radonk and everything, but at least specifically in Radonk, like looking at the workforce stuff, looking at what happened at Astro, the conference this year compared to 10 years ago, yeah. that is, we're on a different planet. And and I am infinitely encouraged about that. But, you know, certain people should uh, be always remembered for the heat they took for, you know, standing up for what they're concerned yeah. about, what they believe in. Yeah, he he did. You know, he he actually did make a comment that it was like ten years later for him at the. You, you got to listen to the session. I, I'm looking forward to what you think about it after you. I, yeah, no, and I, I just I I think about that a lot, and part of that is me like texting and being like, "Is it ten years?" Because I'm I'm like. I, <laughs> I love doing that. I get very sentimental in some regards, but just that that's like, cause to me, I was in my PhD, I was wrapping up my PhD when that came out. So to me, uh, that, that was a big deal. Cause that was like part of my own identity formation was I was still, I was finishing up my PhD in, in molecular radiobiology and considering doing radiation oncology. I really wasn't sure. And right when I was kind of having those sort of internal debates with myself is when that all went down. So that was kind of very formative for me. And then to kind of be here now and for, uh, you know, my, my, my own stuff, like my name to show up on, on his slides is, is quite surreal in many sort of, of ways, but I think he is, um, yeah, I, I think he's done a lot for us. Yeah. Well, I think I'm going to call it cause, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, this is my last day of I gotta go back to work tomorrow. You gotta go back. I was gonna say it is well, so you're, what time is it? You're three hours behind me or two hours? Uh, two. 
Eight you're two hours by me. I was going to say the, uh, yeah, it's, it's now it's time for me to start contouring because it's, it's early still. It's only 1030 here on the East coast, which means this is prime contouring time. And, uh, I think you're a greater, you're greater than 12,000 RVU guy. That, that, it's, uh, you, that poll was like, it brought out the baggage. Like people, like people could not so just answer funny. the question. <laughs> well, and people couldn't like, it was, I thought that was a great sociological experiment because, uh, I, I, am the only one who's like infrastructure, infrastructure, because this real feels really different as, as I said, you know, gearing up to, to go contour. And it's just, uh, although I am, you know, I guess technically I'm faculty, so I can't really lord this around anymore, but you know, out here in the, the community, I I'm doing fast forward. That's what I'm going to go. One of the cases I'm going to go contour. So I'm doing five fraction breasts, you know, I'm not doing out here going rogue with outside of my palliative care network doing 44 fractions um you know i, I do know what fast forward is thanks for listening if you liked our show please subscribe and leave us a rating also head to photonmedia.org and check out the rest of our content we hope you're having a great day and look forward to seeing you again soon